Hello, everybody. Welcome to Outspoken. My name is Justin White, and this is episode 97. Um, before I introduce my guest this week, uh, I just feel like I have to say, well, I don't, I don't want to get into it here at all, actually, but um, at the end, I'll say something about what I'm calling Sedition Day. Uh, it happened only a few days ago, the siege, they're calling it, the coup, the attempted coup. Um, so I will talk about that a little and just about everybody's well-being as it pertains to this event. Um, but I don't want to start that way. I want to get into the fun uh, conversation that I had with my old friend Brandon from high school. Um, and I want to make this point. It is more of a conversation than an interview. And this show often is. Uh, I, I didn't, when I started, I had no idea what the format was going to be, except that I was going to be talking one on one with somebody. And I'm happy uh, in the way that it has evolved and changed, and it's going to continue to do that. But um, yeah, some of these episodes are, you know, he's an old friend. We hadn't talked in a while and we just talked for a long time and uh, we're comfortable sharing things and it's so we can get pretty deep, but we can also just reminisce about stuff that's only pertinent uh, to the two of us. And so, you know, there's a little bit of both of those things in here or, you know, maybe more of some than the other, I hope. But uh, I did a fair amount of the talking, as I often do. I'm, I've been known to be a talker. Um, but I and, and also there's a lot of it that's actually about me, but through Brandon's eyes. So that's something that I'm leaving in because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that probably don't know me as well as I would like them to. Um, there's just a lot more to share than you can fit into some... Uh, social situations. So that's part of what this podcast is about, actually, is you know, an exposition of my own life uh, through the ages, through all the all the years. And, you know, um, it's, for me, very helpful to hear that stuff because I learn from it. And uh, it's a good process. It's processing for me. It's a way that I can work through things and I'm always learning new stuff and changing the way I behave or trying to. And it is my sincere hope that it is helpful for you, for some of you. Um, I know not everyone will relate to everything that's ever talked about, but I feel like when you're sharing freely of yourself in the deepest way that you're able to, uh, at the very least, it's sort of setting an example or giving permission for others to do that. But uh, also, I feel like often we touch upon things that are universally so for the human race. So it's good. I think it's good. And um, anyway, this is a fairly long intro and longer than I intended. So let's just get into talking to Brandon, and uh, I'll meet you at the end. I did listen to a few more of your podcasts in the last week here. Oh, cool. Getting, getting, uh, getting revved up and prepared. Yeah. Here in, I, I was really intrigued by your conversation with your brother, of course. And, oh, cool. uh, you know, growing up together and 
I didn't know a lot of those stories. So that was enlightening for me. And it also reminded me a lot of my past and, and got into like when you and I met and became friends and, you know, organically just started hanging out more and more and uh, ultimately ended up going to college together. Who knew? Yeah. I think because we both just sort of liked the pamphlet that, that CU had. I think that that's my recollection. It was like, this place looks awesome. It was a 14 by 17 glossy. Yeah. That's what sold us on our college careers. You know how I ended up in that? Uh, I never heard of Boulder before. And you, you may or may not remember the story, but I had a uh, Jacques Carmenuquin was my French teacher back then. Jacques. Jacques. Valerie Jacques. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he has a character. I got along with him. We'd play tennis together on the weekends. He used to have us over on like Tuesday nights and we'd call it culture night and drink wine with him. So illegal. That's so that sounds a little bit uh, a little bit borderline. <laughs> it was it was a little kooky. That's awesome. But um I had it I was really good at French from a written standpoint. Mm-hmm. But from an auditory and being able to orate, I was terrible. <laughs> and I it was right after lunch and I had a uh, I had to do a, a speaking exam with him and I was dreading it for days and days. And I looked up on the board to see what schools were going to be there during that time. And I saw University of Colorado Boulder. Sounds good. Never heard of it, but I don't have to take my exam today. That's amazing. So you, did, you just grabbed it out of a little pot of three or five or whatever. Yeah. And you know, the person who came in was a recent grad and she was full of life and told some great stories about Boulder. And then you've seen like dogs jumping after Frisbees and the flat irons and all blue skies. Totally. And I was sold. That's all I needed. I saw that how close campus was to the mountains and I was mm-hmm. like, that looks pretty good. Looks like if I'm not going to class, I'm going up onto that mountain. Yeah. We did that a few times. We did. Yeah. There's the one epic one of my all-time favorite experiences. Mine too. There may or may not have been LSD involved. I don't. I don't think. There I'm may not. or may not have been LA riots happening, and we were just completely oblivious. That was amazing too to find out about that after our whole day-long adventure. To come back to like, oh shit, things are on fire. And we found out by accident because we I remember we went to your, to somebody's room and they were playing video games mm-hmm. and, they, and they just like switched over the, the input just for a second. And we saw like thousands of people jumping on top of cars and yeah. o- overturning shit. And, uh, and we just spent six hours together in nature without seeing a single person. Right. Except a, an eagle or hawk flying above us and you could hear his wings sail through the air. And he wasn't even clapping them. Yeah, I don't even know what kind of gigantic bird that was, but we heard it's the wind of its wings before it even came around the into view. Condor. It it looked like a freaking condor. It was huge. It seemed massive. (laughs) We got ourselves in a predicament by free climbing up without any ropes or gear. (laughs) We didn't know how to get down. We were both wearing probably the worst, the worst shoes and clothing for what we were doing. Yeah, but it was pretty intense. I remember it just being really fun and exhilarating and probably super dangerous. But uh, yeah. but we were scaling some stuff that I'm, I think we would still be impressed 
to you yeah. know if we went back and I, looked. Like, we can do that today for sure. Yeah. If we but, tried it today, we would somebody would break something. Yeah. And then we were walking back into town and we were blocked from College Avenue. And do you remember the two deer that were in the lawn? Yep. And we sat and watched them. And they they were never down that far. Yeah, it and was I like extra. Stopped dead in our tracks and were completely silent and just brought it all in. That was so cool. And they yeah. didn't they didn't seem too concerned that we were there either. No. We were at peace with nature that day, Justin. It's true. We were communing. We were at one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well that that was yeah. Those were the good old days, although a whole bunch of that time wasn't good old, but uh now just old. Yeah, it was just old. It just it, no, there was there was good and bad as with anything, but uh, sure. but yeah, that that day, well, and the fact that it was a football Saturday and basically the entire town was in the stadium except yeah. for us. Yeah, that's why it was no there was nobody up there but us. Yeah, and there was no traffic on the streets. There was no no noise other than when somebody scored or something. Mhm. Yeah, I forgot about that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lucky day. Yeah, until we came back to reality and it just hit us right in the face like that. Yeah, that was a fairly harsh come down as far yeah. as as far as those go. Well, and then I learned that my brother and friend were driving into LA that day. Oh, really? Yeah, they were driving from San Francisco down to LA to see our friend's dad who lives there. And they got like to the outskirts of town and saw some shit going down and they're like, we're, t- we're going back. And they just t- immediately turned around and drove back. Wow. But they went the whole, you know, six hours down there to find out that the riots were just starting. Yeah. yeah. I think they were isolated, not isolated. That's the right term, but they were within LA mostly. I don't think it really hit like today with George Floyd, you know, the, the whole country comes together and starts rioting and, Right. protesting i should say whereas back then it was la was just we're we're fed up with this we're done there was so much tension in the air just waiting for this moment to happen that it exploded totally yeah that was that was in some ways the beginning of like a, a new way of speaking up for you know against speaking out against the oppression yeah and you were really into um, like NWA, PE, like you were was, yeah. good stuff. And I was hanging out with the samples and Big Head Todd in my room, like, nature. <laughs> yeah. I think I rubbed a lot of our friends the wrong way with my love of, of <laughs> political rap. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was great. I think it was a breath of fresh air for all of us. Oh, that's good. Maybe at the time it was, it was, I forced it a little too much, but once everybody got into it, it was, it made sense. Yeah. And it made you who you are today. And, you know, I, I eventually got out of my nature phase and moved on as well. And, you know, became a different person too. Yeah. Your nature, you're not in your nature phase? Not so much. <laughs> do, you, do you get, do you mean like you, the kind of, you don't get out into the natural world. I do get out in the natural world as much as possible, but I'm not an idealist like I was back then. I see. Okay. Like those riots really left an indelible mark, obviously, and then 
you know, going through the last 20 years, you know, all the wars we've had and all the turmoil we've seen and, you know, the shit that our friends have gone through as well, like here domestically and close to us. Right. It, it, nature gives me the time now to think. Like I, one of my favorite things to do still to this day is go out and ride my bike for four hours in the woods and not see another person and just be deep in my thoughts. That's cool. You still, you get to do that when you want to? Not as often as I would like, but um, much as I can. Yeah. That's cool. That's a great meditation. It is. And some of my best thinking has always been through that. And I, when I was, I lived in San Diego for a few years there, if you recall, but it was after San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I would ride at lunch every day. Um, And, you know, for an hour or so. And all these thoughts go through your mind about work and what you're doing and things you need to do and how you want to better yourself or whatever. And I I figured out there's a rule. There's only so many things your mind can remember. So I figured out the rule of three. So I would go on a ride and I would find out of the 20 things my mind was, you know, juggling, I would pare it down to three and say, these are the three things that I want to write down when I get back to my office and be able to say, these are things I want to work on. That's cool. I still, I still do that today. Really? Weird, weird habit, but yeah, I do. And did you just make it up yourself? You just decided it was three and that's what, that's how you do it. It's the magic number. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Everybody knows that. Um, I had a, uh, after that job, I was in LA working for a consulting firm. And uh, I had a boss there who was te- who told me, when you do a presentation, you want to tell them what you're going to present, you want to present, and then you want to tell them what you just presented. Right. And if you're lucky, they're going to remember three things that you said. Wow. And it's true. That's the way our brains are wired because we've got so many ideas being yeah. generated so quickly all the time, you know? It's just and how do you stop it? And the filters that we run everything through that sort of change an idea into our own, you know, we, we make it, we shape it to our own sensibilities, you know, mm-hmm. even as you're hearing somebody say something, you're sort of transforming it into the way you want to hear it. Sometimes. It resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it just comes through as pure truth and you're like, oh shit, that's, you know, I believe that. I didn't, I didn't know that I believed that until I heard it, but you know, I mm. guess that's what an epiphany is. I was going to say epiphany or perhaps um, something you've never learned about, like messenger RNA. <laughs> I was supposed to learn about that in Boulder, but I don't remember a damn thing. <laughs> but I've learned a lot in the last you know few months. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm sure I learned that at one time, but I didn't retain it. But But I also don't think that I don't think the knowledge, even if you can't recall it at will, I don't think it goes away. I think it's in there somewhere or the whatever sort of, you know, growth you attain from that knowledge stays with you and builds into the next, you know, awakening. Yeah, that presents you a bridge to go somewhere else. And that may go away and be further in the back of your head. And wherever that bridge takes you is what's more in the forefront, your frontal lobe that you concentrate on more. Right. Or, or if it's a lesson that, 
you need you really need to learn you might get it a bunch of different ways like you might you might not learn it you might not know what the lesson is that you're learning at the time mm -hmm. and then when it's revealed it might mean that you don't have to learn that lesson anymore or it might mean that's just the beginning of you you know coming around to this new way of being i think because mm -hmm. i find that there's stuff that i've i've known consciously well i'm sure i knew it subconsciously first and then right. consciously and then i'm still working on implementing it you know maybe decades later so yeah, so it's exactly. not just the knowing of it that makes it happen it's the processing of the lesson you know <laughs> yeah i, I <laughs> i'm still learning those lessons <laughs> i think we all are i think that's what life is like that's what every every human here is doing is learning their own set of lessons yeah but i still think i can do these things like the boulder example and free climbing and mm -hmm. i still in my mind think i can do those things but my body is telling me differently as i'm doing it Right, and my mind starts to shift because I'm feeling some physical pain, or maybe it's some fear factor right. that wasn't there before. Do you think that stuff can be changed? Like, do you think you could just rewire your thinking so that the fear doesn't exist, or that you can override the muscle aches or whatever it is? That's the one I'm battling with still, Justin. Um, I think I. I don't know if I told you, but I had a pretty bad bike accident, 2012. I think you. I don't know if you told me. If you, I'm. A, I apologize if you did. And I... Yeah, it's fine. It was um, something I wasn't proud of, and it was stupid. And back then, I thought I was indestructible still, and I was in my 40s, and I still thought I was 20. And I would ski fast through trees and right. by myself, and not half the time not knowing where I was going or what was on the other side of that tree or that turn and just go for it. And I was kind of the same way on the bike. And I was, I felt comfortable with my skills in both. And then I had this ridiculous freak accident where I was going less than five miles an hour. And I, this dog ran in front of me and I slammed on my brakes and my front brake grabbed first went right over the bars and I landed on a curb and split my chest open. Shit. And it wasn't bleeding. It was all internal. And I didn't know. I mean, it hurt like I've never felt pain like that before. And uh, Jackson was with me. So that wasn't fun. I felt terrible for him. Yeah. He must have been scared to see you. Yeah. But then he knew it was severe because at the time my office in, in Telluride was on the second floor and this was really steep set of stairs like 20 stairs not your typical 12 or 14 it was brutal and i had to carry my mountain bike on my shoulder up that with that pain mm. and jackson's never heard such a expletive <laughs> just rant in his entire life and i just let it all out because there was the only way i was gonna make it up the stairs i just needed to just, just power through oh man and I got up there and I called my wife and I said, um, I think I did something really bad. And uh, I was like, I need to go to the ER. So she, she came and got me. Her office was like three doors or three blocks down. It was a Saturday afternoon and I was doing some stuff in my office and she was doing some stuff in hers. And Jackson and I were on our bikes riding down the alley to go drop her off 
um, some lunch. Mm. That's when the accident happened. And I went back to my office and that's why I called her. And she's like, you'll be fine. We'll go home, give you some Tylenol, put your legs up. You'll be, you'll be good. <laughs> I'm like, honey, I don't think that, I think it's worse than that. And there was nothing physically on the outside that, you know, showed anything. And uh, we went into the ER and they had just gotten a CT scan a few months beforehand from a donation. It's a very small rural hospital. Uh-huh. The ER can hold, I think, as far as like patients spending the night, like two or three maybe. Okay. And they get me in and I'm all whacked out on drugs right away. Get me out of my misery. Mm-hmm. And they do the CT scan and they send off the scans to St. Mary's, which is in Grand Junction, about three hours away by car. And they send it off and they, they immediately call back and say, get him here now. Jesus. And, um, that's when they said, okay, we're going to take him up to the airport and he's going to get on a helicopter and he's going to go to Grand Junction. Jesus, man. And I got there, like, I don't even think they dressed properly. They just, like, we got to get in there and take care of this guy. Because what I'd done is I had ripped my Lima completely off of my heart. Your Lima? I don't know if I even know what that is. Yeah, there's your Rima and your Lima. Okay. And your Lima, and I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. (laughs) (laughs) You've You've watched one on TV. You kind of need it to live. It, it pumps blood to your heart. Jesus. And I was bleeding internally and my lungs were filling with blood. Ugh. And it showed on the hands. And so that got in. I looked at the doctor and the first thing I said to her was, I'm really sorry. She's still on my Christmas card list, of course. <laughs> I looked at her and I go, I'm really sorry. I didn't have a chance to manscape before I came today. Oh, my God. That's completely amazing. stacked up on who knows what, you know, how many different morphines. And um, then I was out for, uh, I think, like eight hours. I went into surgery right away. And um, my first helicopter ride, my only helicopter ride, I enjoyed it. It was a full moon that night. I'll never forget. And uh, I didn't know the severity of what it was. They didn't tell me. I just knew that they needed to do surgery. I didn't know my lemur was ripped off, and I had a tertiary artery, too. That wasn't life-threatening, but they were able to reconnect that one. But I did lose my lima, and they connected my rima and moved that over. So Jesus. what they do in a bypass surgery is they take your rima and move it to your lima. Okay. Don't quote me on this, but I think that's how it works. <laughs> well, that's more than I ever knew about it. I'd never heard either of those terms before. And I found out later that had I gotten there 20 minutes later, I wouldn't have made it. Because your lungs would have filled with blood and you would have... I would have choked on my own drowned. blood. Yep. Drowned in my own blood. Fucking awful, man. I'm yep. really sorry. I didn't... I don't... I, I would have remembered that if you had told me. I had no idea. That's a, that's a really awful close call. I have a list of things that I wanted to bring up, like topics. And that oh, was not... Cool. So I went off script. Sorry. Oh, I like it. I didn't even know what was on the list. So, um, but the, I'm glad we got to that. Um, so going back, the reason why I brought that up is because I still ride my bike. And that was a freak accident going five miles an hour. 
but I used to ride down mountain passes at 55 miles an hour mm-hmm. and not twice about it and be in the drops as aerodynamic as I could be. And now when I go down a mountain pass, I'm jamming my hands on the brakes so hard that they cramp. Wow. And, you know, the Colorado mountain passes, if you recall, are like miles long. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I can't let go. I'm, I'm still gripping. Wow. But you still feel the, the, need or desire to be out on your bike doing that yeah i prefer the uphills a lot more than the downhills now Hmm. (laughs) wow that's amazing i mean do you think before that accident happened there was like a was it a self self self-destructive thing that caused you to be take risks or is it just the thrill or do you have any sense of that I think it was the thrill and the confidence I had in my ability. Okay. And I used to say, and you might remember when I mean we skated at Vail that one time. That's a funny story. Oh my god! <laughs> funny, funny if you weren't me. <laughs> um, but the way I always looked at it is, and I people I don't know what they thought of me when I said this, but I always said, if you don't fall, you're not trying. kind of what you know we're going through right now this pandemic and i think everyone's realizing it and those who can't go out and do the things they used to do are not happy but those who are able to find new things to do that give that sense of stability or the creativity or whatever it might be that drives you i think are like like i said like i'm okay yeah i wake up every morning and i'm very happy for the day and looking forward to what I have and, you know, making things happen. That's cool. That's a good place to be. And I, you know what it was, Justin is, um, you know, we, you, we as a society, especially in our country and any first world is you, it's the more, more go, go do, do. Right. And you don't stop to ever think, what you know 
deliberately, right? Mm-hmm. What is this going to do for me? What's the outcome? What's the end game? Whereas now you, you do. And I got to the point, and I think you know, Ken walks or when he can. Um, he's creaky as well. Mm-hmm. But when he can, he goes out and walks 8 to 10 miles a day. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. And I was, um, I didn't have a bike this summer. The bike went to crap. So I started walking every day and I would just go and find new neighborhoods and just go get lost and then find my way back hours later. And I really enjoyed that time. And I learned how to deal with myself because I had to, it was just me by myself. It wasn't as if I had all these distractions around me with work or relationships or, you know, yeah. stresses of life. It was just, hey, this is it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a really, that will ultimately be a really positive thing for a lot of people, even if it feels uncomfortable right now. I just think that this time for self-reflection is is sort of mandatory Yep. For the spirit, but we've let it go as a practice. We we don't we don't make ourselves do it unless we're forced to. And now we're being forced to. And I and I hope that enough people continue. I hope that it becomes a, a normal practice for people. That like, hey, this it is a good idea to check in with yourself and see how you're doing. In not not as you relate to other people or the situation around you, but mm-hmm. you like how are you? And, um, but I think that's really scary too, for a lot of people, especially those who haven't done much of it. It's, it's, it's almost like you're being proactive versus reactive, right? Right. You're, you're not reacting to your surroundings and the environment and things that are thrown at you. You're creating that environment and, you know, new avenues for yourself. Right. And that's when life gets fun. So when you have that control, it's like, damn, like, this is what I'm going to do today. And I'm excited about it mm-hmm. versus, Oh, I got to go do this. And I got to go do that. Right. Well, yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big part of it too, is just the, your approach to it and your, the language you use around it, True. which is something that I'm terrible. I mean, well, even saying that is judgment, but I, historically I've had a really hard time, uh, not being negative. You know, I just like, I'm not cynical. I'm just, uh, critical and discerning, you know? So I see a lot of things that I don't agree with, or I don't feel like I want them in my world and I'll judge them. Uh, but every time you do that, you're just putting that little nugget of resentment in your pocket to carry around with you. You know, it's like, it's only your own shit. Like you, you're adding to, you know? Yeah. It's weighing you down. You don't even realize it. Yeah, it, li- it literally is weighing you down. I mean, every every time you hold something against somebody else, you you are adding weight to your own life. It's like when you're, you know, you're a big gym rat, I know. So, oh, yeah, to- yeah, love the, love the gym. <laughs> you pick up those, you know, 30-pound dumbbells in your hand and you're walking around with them doing your squats. <laughs> mm-hmm. you think about that. And once you put them down, you're like, all right, I'm glad that's off. But if you think about that weight, and it's not just physical weight, but it's also that mental weight, as you're alluding to, I think, here, it's that baggage you're carrying around and just weighing you down. 
yeah. and not allowing you to, to be thinking positively. Or even just to be like, to, to feel free to exist, you know, that's, that's what it does to me. It just like blocks my whole ability just, to be. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's really, I mean, it's sort of confounding because I can look right at it and I can even draw lines to where this, like what the influences might've been and how I, how my identity was sort of shaped in that way. Um, and, you know, and taking accountability for which part of that is my own doing. Um, and I, I still, even with all the awareness I think I have about it, I'm, it's just like such a strong groove in my brain. It's such an automatic default that I really, it's just like, talk about being proactive. I, I basically just have to always be checking it and looking at it and like, Oh, careful. Don't do You know, and, but, but also not judging it in myself, like just sort of trying to gently coax myself away from that negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it is actually working and I am getting help, you know, through various spiritual channels and, uh, just doing, you know, just working on it, always working on it. I always, so Justin, I, I know that we all see ourselves as different than what other people see you as, but I always thought you had that enlightenment. You had that spirituality and you like, you were a free thinker and you did what, what felt right. And you did the right thing for people. You weren't disloyal. You weren't, you know, (laughs) once you turn like late twenties, you were. (laughs) Okay. I was, I was going to say, are you sure you're you're looking back far enough? Um, but no, you, you changed your life around considerably and your outlook changed considerably. And that's not an easy thing to do. Nope. And it's easy to stay in that rut. It's, it's a comfortable rut. We all are comfortable in it. Yeah. The misery we know. Mm-hmm. Well, I can recall being on a freeway in San Diego and being so upset about traffic that I was just white knuckled on the wheel and just screaming people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm by myself because I mumble to myself all the time, obviously. Either mumble or scream, but always, always <laughs> to yourself. There's no middle ground. Right. And I remember thinking to myself after doing this day after day, finally I came to that self-realization that I'm making myself miserable. These people aren't doing it. No. I'm doing it. And I really thought about that. And every time I got in the car, I would just think about that. And don't worry about it. Just do your thing. Everything's going to work out. And it worked for a long time. And then you you kind of start falling back into those ruts again. You don't even realize it. It happens so slowly and gradually over time. Yeah. How do, yeah. You have to find a way to come out of it again. Or you need to, I mean, I feel like we all, I feel like there is a way to achieve it on a, and, and maintain it, you know, but it, mm-hmm. but it, it includes, it requires pretty much daily vigilant work, you know, and it doesn't have to be work. doesn't have to equal drudgery or, you know, horrible effort. It just means vigilance. Like you just got to sort of pay attention. Just show up. Yeah. Show up and, and pay attention to what, your well take accountability for your stuff yeah. and, and see what else 
is there that isn't that doesn't really belong to you and just let it the the hard part for me is letting that shit go just being just accepting that i have no control over it and letting it be what it is knowing that it wasn't the outcome i desired and it wasn't what i expected i just have to accept it that it is you know and that i the the thing i guess for me like the shame is a is a is my check like that's how i when i start to think that way i start to feel ashamed of of that because and that's the worst place to be it is it's it doesn't help anybody but it's coming i think out of the privilege or something because it just feels like i'm being sort of a brat if i'm oh i didn't get my way so now i'm mad you know and that so so i feel like uh I mean, it's not good for me to shame myself either. So I know that's not the answer to changing it. Um, but the letting go of the control, I think, is the answer. Yeah, it's that di- dissecting it into smaller parts to deal with each one. And to your point, to your point, take accountability for it. The, the word I've been using the last six months is, and, and I've done a lot of word smithing with myself for this time. The word I've been using is ownership. I take ownership of my actions and my relationships and things I say and my dishonesty and my honesty. And my motto for the last six months has been, I'm, I'm an open book. I'm completely honest with everybody. This is what it is. This is what's happening. And I'm working through it. I hope you can work with me on this and let's see where it takes us. Mm-hmm. And that's that's, I think, how you continue to not only maintain, but also grow your relationships with not just yourself, but with others too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't really grow a relationship without being honest. I don't mm. think. And honest with yourself too. Yeah. Well that, I mean, that's the tricky thing. Cause I think that we're, we've, we're all sort of masters of, of, you know, denial or catering to our own needs or, you know, seeing through the convenient filters or whatever it is that shapes it to the way we want to see it. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's just a human quality. It's just something that our brains do without us even trying. But um, I think that it's, you know, if you're somebody who holds on to judgments about others, you're, almost certainly somebody who holds on to judgments about yourself. Yeah. And most everyone I ever talk to who says anything about it says that you can't, you know, you got to love yourself. You have to figure out how to do that in spite of all the blemishes and faults and all the things in your past that you think, you know, inform everyone else who you are. Mm -hmm. But it's weird when you actually don't buy into all that shit like you don't want to, I don't want that to be what governs how I feel, you know, I don't have like mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Or just no, like, you know, so the other people's perception of me should not be the thing. It should not be, be my guidepost. Yeah. Okay. Right. I want to know what's right for me by asking myself and, you know, ask for help if I need it, which is another thing I need to learn to do a little better, I think, but, um, right. Yeah. But you know, I'm I've never I've never wanted somebody else to lay out 
the playbook for me. I just want to be free to, to figure that out on my own. Um, mm -hmm. and yet I'm, I fall prey to the same pitfalls that anyone in society does, or it's just like, Oh, I guess I don't fit here. I feel bad. I, I guess I don't look like everybody else. Even if you don't want to look like everybody else, you don't, yeah. you just don't want to be singled out for it. You know? Yeah. So true. I, so listening to uh, the conversation you had um, with your brother, it was, he remembered a tragic story in his life when your mom said that he was shy. Oh, he, right. he labeled. Right. Yeah, like, like crushed his spirit in that moment to be. And you could tell he was like, even if she said, oh, he's a happy child, he would have been like, that's not who I, I I'm a lot more than that. Right. You know, and I think we all have that feeling of, you know, people are going to, people are going to judge, people are going to think certain things and they're going to put a label on you. And it's just easy to do because that's how they're able to compartmentalize you in their brain. And then they move on to the next thing that they're thinking about in their brain. Right. But, um, but then you somehow hold on to this idea that like whatever they came up with as their assessment of you is like the most valuable bit of information you could ever have, you know, like you, you somehow, I mean, I'm sure not everyone does this and I should really only speak for myself, but I know from, from the time I was really small, I, I just know that I did thing. I shaped myself to fit situations whenever I felt like that was the safer thing to do than being authentic. Uh -huh. And it turns out that that was a lot of the time. That was like a lot of my life was, you know, not feeling like it was safe to be authentic. And it took, you know, trying it out and failing and trying it out and succeeding and, and finding the people who would accept me with all the, you know, with the good and the bad. And, but I still, I feel like that's an ongoing thing all the time. I'm, I'm almost 50 and I still, you know, I don't spend my days like, Oh, I hope this person likes me or I, you know, I'm not, right. that, I'm not that concerned about it generally speaking, but there is still a part of me who is like, I don't think I'm okay yet with myself. Like I don't, I haven't come to terms yet with either my past behaviors or with, I don't know, some like thoughts that I have, even though they're out of my control. Um, there's, there's still some bit of self-judgment there. And it seems to like in my life, it seems to have always led to some kind of self-destructive behavior, you know, where it's like, you're not worthy. So who cares what happens to you? Lashed out. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, never, thankfully never took the form of want, wanting to hurt other people. It was always just a, internalized thing, but it's, but I feel like I've inflicted a fair amount of damage to myself just in my thinking, in my like self, self, uh, de uh, deprecating thinking. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And when you dwell on it, you get back, that becomes your happy place and your comfort zone. Hey, it's right. pull away from it because it's the thing you want, the stone you want to touch every night. Right. It's the first thing you want to touch in the morning because it grounds you. You think that that's who you are. 
But right. But it but there's not in my in this case, there's nothing empowering about it because it's like a victim thing. It's like yeah. a, I'm I'm the victim of these things that happen to me. Self-deprecating to your point. Yeah. And but it but that's not really taking ownership. That's that's allowing these old beliefs or other people's beliefs to dictate how I feel. Mm-hmm. And that's no good. That's not uh, it's not working. I told someone today, actually, because um, they were in a work situation, and they were, kept saying, I'm really sorry that, the, you know, this happened, and I want to, you know, make good on it. And I'm like, if you continue to apologize for your actions and the result that occurred, you're empowering that person to continue to drive that home with you, and then they're going to label you, and they're going to keep doing that. You need to empower yourself and turn it around and say, hey, look, I took ownership. I did this. This is what the result was. Right. And I learned my lesson. This is how I'm going to change it in in the future. Yeah, that's a really good point. I had this interview with uh, this large consulting firm. um, And I was talking to this guy for about an hour or so. And he kept asking me, it was behavioral questions. Tell me about a scenario when did you have this challenge? How did you overcome it? You know, uh-huh. difficult clients and things like that. And for me, every one of my answers, and I, I do realize this, and but he called me out on it. He called me, a, uh, what was it? Like a turnaround ninja. <laughs> you turned the challenge into a positive. How did you do that? And then, you know, he asked me another story about, working with a difficult client and, you know, when you lost the business or something. And at the end, I turned it around and made it a positive. And he goes, there you are again with your ninja moves. That's awesome. <laughs> and I never thought about it until that moment, but that's I kind of, I think the reason why I've been in the roles that I've been in my careers and why I've been somewhat successful is because I'm not afraid of challenges. And I hit them straight on and I work with people to figure out what the best possible solution can be. And for me, I'm not happy going to work with a client for six weeks. I want to go work with them for six years and I want to get them promoted and make them look good and, you know, form that trust and bond, that relationship. Mm -hmm. Because it's more exciting that way. Yeah. I don't know, you're, you're driving towards something and you're both getting something positive out of it versus, oh, yeah, this project, I got another three weeks until I'm done. I can't wait to be done with this. Right. Like, I'm always, well, shit, in three weeks, this project's going to be done. Like, But I think we need to do this next and that next, and here's what's going to cost, and here's the roadmap for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I always think positively in those situations. But you say you didn't realize that about yourself until he said that? I did and I didn't. I, I knew, so the last consulting firm I worked for here in Minneapolis, I went to lunch or breakfast, 7 a.m. breakfast with the CEO of the firm here. And uh, he's an old Arthur Anderson guy and worked there for 25 years and he's basically hanging his hat up and starting to something smaller here. And he was like, I can tell when talking to you that consulting is in your DNA. 
Hmm. And I never thought about that before, but that's exactly who I am. It's, I want to make the best out of any situation, whatever it is. Like we can overcome it. Let's do this together. And I got the job, obviously. So that's awesome. Um, so, but do you, I mean, can you look back on your life and see that you were that way when you were younger? Do you, is that how you remember being, or can you retroactively say that was always your mode? I never, I never felt comfortable being the victim. I think you probably remember when we were younger. I never talked about my parents. Yeah. Well, I remember that, but I also remember feeling scared to ask you, you know, like I, I, I never knew if it was you not wanting to talk about it or me not wanting to bring it up if you didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I didn't want anyone to think differently of me because of it. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to bring it up. I didn't mm-hmm. want them to like me or dislike me because of that. I wanted them to see me who I was and be present with who I who I am. Can you, can you, do you mind just telling what happened for the, let's say for the listener? Just Sure. So my um, father passed away when I was seven years old in a car accident in Northern Michigan. And, I, and then my mother passed away when I was 15 and I had moved to Ann Arbor at this point. She was still in Northern Michigan and I had moved down there with my guardian because my mother was incapacitated to be, um, a mother, basically. Right. Um, so I moved to Ann Arbor and um, started my life over again, basically. Trying right. to figure it out. And, and, and your guardian was only a few years older than you, if I remember. Yeah, he was 17 when I first met him when I was 12. Wow. And my brother, my sister was a year and a half older than me. She still is a year and a half older than me. It's weird. <laughs> never, that's so weird. That never changes. And my brother is four years older than me, so um, he got his driver's license when he was 15, so he could take my mom to and from the hospital. She had complications from diabetes and Hmm. wasn't doing well and wasn't taking care of herself. So um, we basically grew up, the three of us, on our own. We did our own laundry. We did our own cooking and cleaning and got ourselves ready for school in the morning and got out and did our thing. Like, we just that, who we were and what we did. And we didn't think twice about it. You know, it was just, it was normal for us. That's even before she died. You mean? Yeah. Because yeah. she just wasn't there available for the, he wasn't there, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, so do you think that, do you think that is the, is the cause that's like the root reason for your fortitude and your positivity or do, or do you I think it's, I think there's two things that happened to me. And one I just realized recently was, when my mother, social services came to the house because the neighbors called the police basically and said, there's no supervision. There's kids are doing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. We were, we were having the time of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, social services showed up and basically said, all right, well, if the family members in your house, you know, your families don't want to take these kids, they're going to foster care. Mm-hmm. And I remember I grouped my brother and sister together in my bedroom and I sat them down and I was like, hey guys, here's the deal. And I quarterbacked the situation. You were the youngest. And I was the youngest. And I said, here's what's going to happen. We got to stick together because if we don't, we're all going to end up in separate homes and we're not going to be a family. So whatever happens, we need to make sure that the three of us are together. 
That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome uh, that you knew that and were able to voice it. I didn't realize that was in me. I just awesome. did it. It's it's the consultant in your DNA. It's your, your DNA. You're like, Listen up, guys. Here's what we're right. gonna do. Come together, huddle up. That's right. <laughs> chop chop. But so that was one, and then second, obviously, is my guardian Dennis, who, you know, he was my older brother. He was my father. He was my best friend. He he made sure I did well in school. I'd never thought about going to college when I lived in Northern Michigan. It didn't occur to me. Hmm. And I moved to Ann Arbor and he puts me in all these accelerated courses and I'm failing out. And I'd never done homework before. Wow. (laughs) So next thing you know, I'm bogged down in six hours of homework trying to keep up with the Ann Arbor school system. And I persevered and, you know, he stayed with me and made sure that I was on the right path, the right path. And, yeah, I mean, he's still my confidant and my best friend, you know, one of my best friends, obviously. So That's awesome. So, because your brother and sister were both sort of old enough to not need a guardian at that point, or did, or they just opted out, or how did that, or was he their guardian as well for part of that time? He was their guardian as well. I, my brother, for maybe a year or two, my brother went off to college, and then my sister and I, and my sister ended up having some issues in Ann Arbor, I don't know if you recall, but she, you know, she and I lived together. I was 16, I was 15. She was 16 and we were living together in an apartment in Ann Arbor together. Just the two of us. That's so crazy. I don't know. Did you ever know that? That was before. I, well, that's the that's place on right Packard? Here, yeah. the, the, the Packard house? The first, first of three Packard houses. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's in Packard. I guess, well, what I do remember, I didn't know about Dennis until I just happened to meet him when we were at your place one time. I didn't, because I remember remember him coming in and I didn't, you hadn't said like, you know, hey, somebody else lives here or anything. It was just like he walked in and you guys exchanged a few words about the rent or something. And then he's like, okay, I'll see you later. And he left. And I- Address on the couch. I think so, probably. Or I was getting ready to. Um, <laughs> I was getting ready to shut down the rest of the field. Nice. Um, no, I. I think I just. I was like, "Who is that?" Like, I, right. I had no idea. And you're like, "That's my guardian." And I. I. I think that was the moment because I didn't know at that point that your parents had died, and I didn't know much of anything about you because mm-hmm. you. You just sort of showed up in the tenth grade and. I, you know, I remember you and I talked about this not long ago and we have very different recollections of how it went because you seemed to feel awkward and out, out of place. And my recollection was like, you were way cooler than most of the, you know, most of us just upon arrival. Like it seemed like all the, probably because the girls were interested, like, oh, who's the new guy? He's cute. You know, I never knew that, by the way. It's so funny to me because the rest of us were all, I think, seeing you in that way. Like, oh, he's, you know. I didn't care about it. Though. I was I was into like trying to figure out how do I not sit by myself in the cafeteria every day for lunch? Yeah. It got to the point where I did it for the first two days and I said, fuck this. I went to the hallway and sat out in the hallway and ate lunch. Bumped into this guy, Chris, who was uh, from Flint, Michigan. He just started a Pioneer that same week. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew him from skating in Flint all night when I was younger. We would drive down from Bay City down to Flint and just skate all night, go to parking ramps and parking lots. And I was the young, I was the pipsqueak, like 12 years old and trying to keep up with the older kids. And he was one of them that we just kind of hung out because he was younger too, maybe a year or two older than me. And I, he was walking down the hall. I'm sitting there eating my lunch. And he's, Brandon, say, what are you doing here? <laughs> Same thing you're doing here. I don't know anybody in that cafeteria, so I'm sitting out here by myself. He's like, well, let's hang out. Said, cool. So for me, it was all about how do I build friendships and like where do I fit in all of this? Yeah. But didn't did you feel like once – because I mean, I, I hate I hated all the clicks and all that shit from the yeah. very beginning. I just couldn't stand that. That's how our social situations were broken up, and like there were all, there was all this status that was utter bullshit, but everyone agreed to it, so it made it real. And um, I, you know, the, even if you were, even if you, well, speaking for myself, I really didn't want to be a part of any of them, even the ones, the cool group or the whatever, the ones that were popular. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to belong to any of those, but I also refused to see any of the boundaries between one click and another. And for me, that, that was like a really important stance to take. I don't remember it being like a super conscious thing. It was just that I don't fucking care what your outfit is or your hair or any of the, you know, what kind of music mm-hmm. I, mean, I care. I care about that, but I don't, that's not going to determine whether or not I like you. We can hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hated it that it did determine that for a lot of people, like they wouldn't even look at you if you didn't look the right way or they would look at you with derision if they did. And um, so, yeah. so my, my recollection of you was that you, it just based on the way you looked, you would have been able to pull it off just to like, you know, I'm one of the cool guys. I'm, I fit in, I dress nice. I, my hair is right, you know, whatever, but you were too authentic a person to, to do that. So you wound up doing the same thing I did where you're just kind of friends with who you were friends with. Yeah. I didn't wear jeans until I was in my thirties. <laughs> when I showed up and, and I remember my hair was like over my face and like that, you know, new wave look. <laughs> but, but you looked sort of like you had a, a style that was your own and you weren't, well, I don't know. I mean, what yeah. I, I, I felt so fucking uncomfortable all the time through all of school because I just felt like I never looked the part, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't any one of the things that you could look at and say, you're that. And, uh, Mm-hmm. which is A-OK by me. I didn't want to be summed up with a lab- with one label. And that's where we're very similar, Justin. I think that's why you and I have the breadth of friends and the depth of friends that we have. Yeah. We don't look at people in those lights. We look at people for who they are and how we connect with them versus, you know, all the materialistic bullshit out there. And we mm-hmm. just we're, do what we do. And if we jive with somebody, whether it's, you know, try to be complimentary in some way. Like I didn't know anything about PE or NWA, but you did. And that intrigued me. And I wanted to learn more. Maybe you didn't know anything about uh, new wave haircuts. You know, <laughs> <you know that. laughs> Clearly I didn't, I didn't know anything about haircuts period. 
how you go through every step of something mm-hmm. you know no matter what it is if you know of course if it's something that requires a certain amount of skill you need to learn those skills first but for the most part you're going to do a lot more for yourself by learning for yourself than you are if somebody just puts the information in your head i would rather do it on my own and mess up and learn how than have somebody stop me from messing up and say no, do it. You got to do it this way. And that's the way I want to be managed. And that's the way I manage is you tell me if there's a problem and I'll help you, but I want you to figure it out on your own. Yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. Yeah. And I think it can be applied in most places. I think it's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it really just has to do with giving people the opportunity to build their own confidence and, and have some autonomy rather than just say you, well, you're cut out for this. This is what, this is the type of work you're going to do, or this is your station in life or whatever, uh, based on some really restrictive, you know, learning along the way, we're only going to teach you this much and only in this one way and then go be a, be, go do whatever you want. You have nothing. You have nothing of your own to to build on. You know, 
What's that, that school of thought on raising children where you basically, you're not a parent, you just allow them to do whatever they want to do? Oh, yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I don't, I don't know the name. I uh, can't recall it. I mean, it's kind of, I, I'm not, I wouldn't go that far to just let my baby, you know, figure out life on their own. Uh, no. And, or even. I do like the idea of being able to make mistakes and learn for, from them. For sure. I'm, I wish I had done more of that actually for my daughter. I, you know, she was, she was little and, you know, sort of, it took her a while to, to thrive physically. So we were both really protective and probably prevented her from doing certain things that I wish, you know, looking back, I wish we had just let her do it and maybe get some bumps and bruises. And also a different environment than where you grew up. I mean, if you Ann Arbor is sort of Mayberry, right? And being in the city, it's a lot different. And you want to protect them and put them in a bubble because you want them to have that Mayberry experience so that they can't make those big mistakes. But there's so many mistakes in a big city you can make on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. So you, yeah, you got to be able to put some guardrails up. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the problem is when you're doing it as a parent, you have like your whole, you have whatever you've learned to that point and, you know, excluding books and things like that about child rearing. If you're just going on what you know from your own life, I think a lot of parenting has to do with what you don't want to do. You don't, you don't want to repeat the things that happened in your life. And, but it's amazing how much, you can end up doing it in spite of yourself. And then, you know, and maybe it's just because we put focus on that. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves like, Oh, I don't want it to, I don't want to be like my parents were in this way or whatever. I feel like we might accidentally manifest exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's inevitable. It's what we know. Yeah. It's pretty deeply ingrained. I'm, I'm, amazed at some of the phrases that pop into my head that really aren't mine, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to stop myself from saying them. It's such a, it's such a reflex to be like, you know, in this situation, you say this. Don't and, make me pull this car over. Right. <laughs> oh my God. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Thank God. I've never had to pull any of those, uh, any of the Christmas story ones. <laughs> I feel quite uh, blessed and truly grateful to have a child who has basically never needed discipline, you know? That's cool. Yeah. She just did. She just didn't want to break rules, you know, and it's, that may change. There might come some kind of rebellion, but I kind of doubt it because we've, we haven't, there's been no need for her to, to like challenge what, what we're offering. Um <laughs> You know, know, I've seen your daughter a handful of times over the last 10 years or so. And, you know, the way I see her is she's open to conversations about different things she wants to learn. And she participates in those conversations where she's shutting it down. Like so many kids do today. So that's cool. She's done a great job in the sense that she's inquisitive and thoughtful at the same time. Cool. Well, thanks for saying that. I, it's nice to hear how, 
how she comes across to others. I feel so close to her. I can't separate, you know, our, who we are sometimes. She's learned from the enlightened one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a... Well, like it or not, Justin, that's, that's where you are. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And I, and I do appreciate your words earlier about uh, how you perceived me even back then. And and that you acknowledge the sort of transformation that I went through because there are people who've met me, you know, back when I was probably quite lost and not really sure who I was or what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that might be the only impression of me they ever got, you know, and they might think they know me and think that that's who I am. But that was lifetimes ago. You know, I don't like, that's just a, that's just like a faint memory of, of who I am today. I've seen, I've seen that transformation and I, I honestly think in the last 20 years, you really haven't changed a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. well, and you, you, you switched it basically on a dime and I was floored because I hadn't, we hadn't talked for maybe six years or so. And then we went to lunch up in North Beach, I think it was Mario's. Yeah, that sounds and right. I was like, who is this guy? Really? Is that is that how what your feeling yeah, was? Like really? I just, yeah. huh? And I was so happy for you. I mean, I could, and I could tell you were in a happy place, and maybe you didn't feel that way, but you definitely presented yourself in such a manner. Well, that's cool. I was I was lost, dude. I just got to San Francisco as a deer in headlights. <laughs> well, for me, it was like a. It felt like I could finally be myself a bit. And I think that that's why anybody who knew me up, you know, through high school and into college, the beginnings of college, they knew this repressed, you know, pissed off, scared kid who just didn't feel like I fit anywhere and was thinking that I never would. And I was pissed about it. I was like, what the fuck is this place? Yeah, Like nobody gets to feel comfortable here or only like only those elite, few get to do it and the rest of us have to like you know i was really angry about it mm -hmm. and, and i think that was a bunch of my acting out you know all my you know any kind of rebellion was about that it was just like would you fucking stop telling me how it's supposed to be and who i'm supposed to be i cannot take it you know and then i got out here i was like you it can be i mean unfortunately san francisco hasn't really maintained that level of open-mindedness it's actually changed drastically since i've been yeah. here yeah and i don't feel what i did when i got here where it was like hey man you're you be who you are and we will accept you like that you can be a weirdo and you can be lost and trying to figure it out and that's okay too mm -hmm. and, and that's why i moved to boulder all those years ago is because i wanted to just go and have a clean slate because that feeling that I had when I moved to Ann Arbor where I didn't know a single soul, it all worked out. And then I found out that you were going to Boulder and then obviously other folks from Ann Arbor. And then after that, I moved to Steamboat for the same reason. It was like, I showed up to Steam in Steamboat. I had a place that I rented with four girls I didn't know that I'd met at a bar in Boulder. <laughs> One night when I told them about my story of moving to Steamboat and they said they wanted to go and I'm like, okay, <laughs> why not? 
So they all moved there to be. They all moved there with me, and I'm living with four girls. Sunheim ended up saying two months later, "I want to move there too." Yeah, so sounds pretty good. He moved in with us. Double Three's company. And I showed up with half a tank of gas and five dollars in my pocket, and that was all the money I had in the world. And I didn't care. I was so happy. I was just elated to be there. That's great. And it was, I worked three jobs and I, you know, I, the next morning when I woke up, I walked downtown, started knocking on doors and got a job that day and was a waiter and made tips the next day. Nice. And yeah, it was that feeling of just like, you can do, you've got this, like you can do this. Yeah. And even if you don't know if you can, if you, if you can have the courage to step forward anyway, I think you're going to find out something about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, awesome, man. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the time. I feel like I could talk all night um, and we could just go on and on reminiscing and you have a much better memory than I do. So I bet you could recall stories that I was involved in that I have no, no recollection of. Well, it's always a joy to talk to you, and I think we we have a lot of stories together collectively, so I think we're pretty good that way. Yeah. Well, it's awesome to catch up again and uh, For sure. hear a few more little good good nuggets about you. And, um, yeah, let's talk again soon. Yeah, I'll send you my notes and next steps afterwards, and we can go from there. <laughs> okay. There's, Great talking to you, Justin, as always. You too, man. I got a lot of love for you. I love you too. And I don't, I didn't start saying that to my guy friends until a few years ago. Well, thank you for, uh, for, I'm, I'm happy to have you on this side of the, of the vulnerability line. I'm, it's, I'm it's getting important. There. It's important for men. We got to do it. We got to share our emotions. We've been told for too long that we're not allowed to. Agreed. So, yeah. All right. I love you, man. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. Uh, That was my friend of more than 30 years, Brandon, and I want to thank him for coming on and being open and uh, just, it's just fun to connect with somebody again after so long. And uh, I appreciate that and him very much. I'm grateful for my friendships. I don't, uh, I don't know if I, well, I'm sure that I don't express it enough to enough people. I do say it to the ones that I talk to, but I'm very out of touch with many of the people that I love in this world and um, would like to rekindle some of those, their relationships. So, hey, reach on out to me if you want to. I will talk about literally anything. Okay, um, I, I don't feel like I could let the week go by without saying something about this insurrection and that is what it is, by the way. I know that in watching the video, you'll see lots of people who are there for all kinds of reasons, 
it appears. Um, some of them seemed very, like they're just wandering around, just wanted to check it out. And frankly, I can sort of relate to that. If I was there, I would want to see what the inside of the Capitol building looked like. But I wouldn't want to see it in that way. Um, that's terrifying. It's terrifying what happened. It's fucking terrorism, uh, pure and simple. So please don't call it anything else. And, um, you know, nobody would want that to happen to them. And I don't love all the different privileges and everything that our people in power have that most everyone else on the planet doesn't. Um, so I would like to see some changes made myself. Uh, but I don't believe that that is the way to go about it. And, um, I I mean, I actually don't believe that our political system has been working for us for a very long time. It works really, really well for the people who are in it. Uh, and the people designed, the people who designed it, designed it that way. Um, so yeah, it's flipping crazy times these days all over the place, but it seems like the United States is seeing an extra special version of crazy. We've been known for that now since our inception, I think. Um, which actually that's another point I wanted to make because I've been hearing a lot of newscasters say things like, this is not America. This is not how we behave. And the truth is, my friends, that it is the way we behave, and it always has been. Um, I'm not saying everyone in the United States has always been this way, but lots of people have been, and they haven't even been all that secretive about it. And we've been letting it slide, uh, those of us who haven't been directly impacted by it. So um, I find myself sort of pledging and pledging again to to play a more active role in, you know, changing things. And I do feel like I do that just by living, because I think if you live in a certain way, you're actually manifesting a, a way of being that perhaps wasn't uh, welcomed before or acknowledged even, or certainly not accepted by the masses um, or by the powers that be. So I think you can you know, just by living toward your intention, you can help the world quite a bit. And by being yourself, you can also do that. You're sharing yourself uh, in your expression. But I think there has to be some kind of, uh, well, we need more love. We need to bring more love and less hate into the picture. And I know that it's hard to watch this shit going on and not want these people to be punished. And I think that in the way we have things set up, that is sort of the only way uh, people will learn not to do it again, but somebody else will do it again. It is coming, I can almost assure it. And um, I don't want to believe that, I just do believe it. And I don't want it to be so. So maybe I shouldn't even be saying it out loud or on the record, but... Um, I'm going to push for the other way, um, the love way. I think it's important to put in as much good energy into the pot as you can in times like this, because there's certainly plenty of bad already in there and it's overflowing. 
So let's work on that, my friends. I love you all. I mean that sincerely. Uh, We're all fucked up in our own ways. It's okay. Just don't take it out on each other. Um, we'll, we'll keep working on it. Keep on learning. If you want to reach me, email at outspokenpodcast.com. If you want to support me in this thing that I'm doing, uh, patreon.com slash outspokenpodcast. Uh, I have been talking for a while now about changing things up and I am going to, I, I do mean it. Um, it's just that the world is pushing and squeezing in ways that um, are slowing down my other uh, activities. I think you might know what I'm talking about. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye.